Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now, who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And today, we're going to take you all on a trip all the way to the opposite coast, from us at least, to St. Augustine, Florida, and the historic and beautiful and full of history and haunting St. Augustine Lighthouse. The lighthouse has been a beacon to sailors for almost 150 years. Its light, warning of shallow waters and rocky coasts, has guided many a mariner to safe landing. Although the lighthouse you see now wasn't built until 1874, a watchtower or station, as it was called, was on the site dating all the way back to the 1500s, built by the Spanish Crown to help keep watch for enemy ships intent on overtaking the island. That makes the site an active location with people and their stories for over 400 years. Imagine if the walls could talk. But since they can't, we went out and found people who can. Joining us today are Sammy Washburn and Abby Smith, specialty program managers with the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum. How did I do, you guys? Good. Great. I, I liked it. Was I accurate? Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Because there's a lot of information online, and some of it is contradictory. There's a lot of different stuff out there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The actual lighthouse that's there now was completed in 1874. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. October 15th, 1874 was the day it was lit. And the before that were what they called watch stations. And they were kind of the same thing, but much shorter. Is that what it is? So the one that was there before was actually closer to the coastline. So it was shorter. Yeah, it was about 100 feet shorter or so than the current lighthouse. And how did they light that one? How was that lit? I know there's a whole bunch of information on the actual light itself and how it was new technology for the Victorian age when they put it in the lighthouse. But before that, what was used to light it, like to actually light it up? So they actually had to use oil. Um, it was it had to be heated up, at least I know for ours, every two hours to be carried up. Eventually they ended up making their way to electricity, but we started off with like different oils and then kerosene and then made our way to the electricity that now powers our lighthouse. Can you imagine having to take care of that every two hours? No, so it was not. It was not fun because it was thir- at least for our lighthouse, they were thirty-pound weighted buckets that had to be carried up. Every and your lighthouse is the current lighthouse is how tall? One hundred and sixty-five feet, about two hundred and nineteen steps up. How often have you guys done that? Oh, Frequently. I, <laughs> yeah, we lose count after probably the first five months. Is there? Tours of the inside of the lighthouse? Yep. So we do daytime admission tours um, where it's all kind of self-guided and people can climb up. And then we have special ghost tours that we call our dark of the moon tours that include being able to climb to the top of the lighthouse at night. And is that going on right now during this whole COVID thing? Are you guys still able to do all your tours? We're still allowing people to climb. We just kind of limit the capacity that we have at the top also to help kind of with a little bit of noise control. But we are still doing them every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
then you probably get even crazier busier like come October. Oh yeah, we get very busy during Halloween. Last Halloween, because it was on a Saturday night, we had three full tours. And what does that mean? How many people? So we had forty-five people a tour. So. Hundred and fifty. Yeah. Crazy. And that was just on Halloween, but we had tours that entire weekend. And the lighthouse is in a park. I'm, I'm clearly I'm in California, so I've, I haven't seen it. It's in a park now, so there's the house where the keeper would live and the lighthouse. They're not connected. They're across a courtyard from each other, so it's all it's, the museum is the entire grounds, so it's enclosed by like a fence, um, but they're still like right next to each other. Okay, so tell me about what happens at the lighthouse. Well, (laughs) what doesn't happen at the lighthouse would probably be easier to say. We get so many different things. Um, We people hear voices, see things moving, full body apparitions. (laughs) Yeah. Have either of you seen the full body apparition? Yes. Who said yes? Both of us. Both of us. (laughs) Really? And who do you think that was? Abby, do you want to talk about yours first? Well, I think mine has been a mixture of Maria, one of us. She actually has no relation to the newer St. Augustine Lighthouse. She was the wife of uh, the keeper of the former uh, original St. Augustine Lighthouse, the one that started off as a watchtower. I've seen her standing at the top of the tower. We do get a lot of reports of her. And then there was one night I was giving a tour, or I was training for my tour process, and I heard footsteps behind me, and I turned around and saw a full-bodied figure, like, make eye contact with me and then just turn around and go in a different direction. And once they turned around um, and ran off in the other direction, another group in our tour group had actually heard the sound of footsteps of something running. And I do believe that might have been the girl that we have there. The young girl? Okay, wait. Yeah. The one that you saw, the Maria, whose wife is she? Like, which, at what time span was that? So, that was shortly before the Civil War. Um, That was Maria Andrew. Her husband, Joseph Andrew, was the primary keeper of the watchtower at the time. Unfortunately, one evening, Joseph was doing his bi-yearly whitewashing of the original lighthouse. And he was about 65 feet in the air when all of a sudden his scaffolding snapped and he fell to his death. Now, local rumor says that that night, Maria actually ran to the top of the tower, shouted out into the wind, you know, what shall I do? And she said to have heard her husband's voice respond and say, tend the light. And so Maria actually went on to become one of the first female light keepers for um, Florida, and she went on to become the keeper of that lighthouse. Up until the Civil War, when the Confederacy approached her, asked her to dim the light to prevent the Union from coming in, not wanting to really damage any of the parts, kind of took the lens out, buried it across town in the sand, and moved herself and her family to safety in Georgia. That was kind of the last time she was seen on property alive, but she's returned to our lighthouse as one of our spirits. So her, but what about her husband? Have you ever seen her husband? We have heard reports from our neighbors of seeing her husband. We haven't. He more hangs out where the original lighthouse stood, which is only about 350 yards away from where ours is. But they often do have reports of seeing a gentleman walking up and down the shoreline carrying pails of what we believe is oil. And he's so he died there, but she did not. 
she did not know. Now, why do you think that's who you saw? She has a tendency to hang out at the very top of the lighthouse. We do often get reports of our neighbors seeing her at the top of the lighthouse. She's described as a woman in white and is in a long white dress, long black hair parted off to the side. But that's the most prominent figure we see at the very top of the lighthouse. And so the night that I was there, I saw a figure kind of leaning on the railing, looking out. And so I do believe that that was Maria as the lighthouse was actually shut down for the night. Nobody was up on the top of the deck. Oh. That's kind of sad that she she didn't actually die there, but she still goes back there. But, I mean, imagine how significant that was to her life, is that yeah. she, felt, she felt to honor her husband was to continue to tend to the light. Like, it wasn't just a job to her. She was finishing his job for him. Oh, yes. It's, in my opinion, very sentimental. And she's Romantic one of our... in a weird way. Yeah, exactly. So, and okay, so who's, what's the other story that you're going to tell me? So, I've also seen Maria from kind of described exactly as Abby said, woman in white, thought she, I actually thought she was a member of one of our tours. She had walked around to the front of the keeper's house. And then when I went to follow her, because it was the end of the night, the figure had just disappeared. So, is that the scariest thing that's ever happened to you guys there? No. No. <laughs> okay, before um, we get to there, that, yeah. wait, I want, I want you guys to tell me the scary thing that's ever happened. But tell me about Peter Rasmussen. Is that how you say his name? Yes. yes. So okay. Peter was our longest-serving lighthouse keeper. He served from July 1st, 1901 to July 1st, 1924. And he moved to the lighthouse with his wife, Lula, and they loved working at the lighthouse. They loved meeting all the locals. They would have parties for the locals. But there was one group of people that Peter was always a little frustrated with. And we like to tell our guests that it's them. He was frustrated with tourists at times. As part of his job, he had to take people on tour. So if anybody came to the lighthouse, he had to show them the house. He had to show them the ground. He had to take them up to the top of the lighthouse. Um, and in one, in three months, the first three months of a year, he reported 5,500 people came to the lighthouse. So it's 5,000 plus people walking through a place that was also his home, his office. So we understand why he could have been frustrated with people. And that comes across in how he kind of is, encounter, he encounters people today. He's still annoyed have, by people. Yes, definitely still annoyed by people. With gentlemen, he tends to be a little more aggressive. He has been known to create, like, a heaviness sensation on their chest, so they find it hard to breathe. He's poked and he's pinched and he's prodded people. He doesn't like baseball hats because back then that would have been disrespectful to wear a hat indoors. So he actually will sometimes knock the brim off of the hats that people are wearing. Um, He has been known to pull hoodies down off of people's heads if someone comes into the basement wearing a hood. With females, he's a lot more friendly. He likes to stroke people's hair. He likes to give them shoulder massages. All of the staff members are waiting for that. He has not given that to us yet. But his favorite thing to do is take his hand and zigzag it up and down people's legs. Wow. Um, 
but we also have a certain scent we associate with Peter. It's a cherry, like, tobacco scent. He was an avid, like, pipe smoker and cigar smoker. There were only two places that Lula really wanted him to smoke, so he wasn't smoking around any of the children that were visiting down in the basement of the keeper's house and at the very top of the lighthouse. So I've actually smelt that cherry tobacco in the basement of the keeper's house. Um, there was one night I was giving a tour, and I had a gentleman on my tour who, as I was giving it, made a silly little comment about how Peter was stupid or something along those lines. And we went to exit the basement, and he stopped right in a doorway. So I went back to check to see if he was okay, and as I got to the other side of the doorway, there was just this whiff of cherry tobacco. And I think um, Peter was just kind of letting this guy know, like, hey, I've got my eye on you. He the most, out of all the spirits that you believe are at the lighthouse, is he, like, the most aggressive or the most, who's the most? He would seen? be, he's, so all of, it's interesting that, because most of our ghosts, I feel like our most active are the three young girls we have on site. But if we're going off of aggression, I don't think it's so much aggression, but Peter is the one that gets most frustrated by people, so it comes across as a little more aggressive. Yeah. Um, he's been known to make chairs move. I had a gentleman on a tour who sat down in what we call Peter's chairs, which are chairs that weren't antique chairs, but they're just in a, the location that Peter is most often in, and he's kind of gravitated towards them. And he said he was going to take the chairs and bring them home and let them smash out on the highway as he drove home. And Peter started to shake those chairs, that chair as he was sitting in it. Wow. So there's little things like that that Peter will do that kind of label him as aggressive. But I don't think it's necessarily just aggression. It's the way he just vents his frustration, I guess, is the way to say it. And how long you said that he was the longest lightkeeper of all of the lightkeepers? Mm-hmm. And for how long was that again? So he was there for 23 years to the day. With his wife? Mm-hmm. She passed away about two years before he retired in the lighthouse, keep, in the keeper's house. So have from, you ever seen her? What did she die from? We don't know. It was all that said in the, like, obituary and everything was a prolonged illness, but I've never encountered Lula. Peter did say that one of the reasons he retired is because he felt like Lula was still there. Like, he would smell her perfume as she, as if she just walked out of a room, or she would catch her, her reflection in a wind, in a mirror or a window, but she wasn't there. Um, but, I've never encountered Lula. So he he retired and moved away before he, he moved, passed away. Yeah, he moved actually. He didn't move far. He just moved to downtown St. Augustine. And, and about a year else. and a half after he retired, he passed away. So tell me about, are we going in order of lighthouse keepers that it was Joseph and Maria first and then it was Peter Rasmussen, or are we going backwards? No, we're kind of going, we're, go, we're going, Joseph and Maria were, like, first. Okay. And Peter was, was probably the most recent of the spirits that we have. Okay, so then so before of, that, 
Is that before, between the two of them, was it the Pity family? Yes. They okay. were there during the construction of the lighthouse. Okay, tell me about the Pity family. Abby, you want to take this one? Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, you want <laughs> me to take this one? We can kind of, I figure we'll just flip-flop. Works for me. Yeah, so they started construction our lighthouse in 1871, and they hired a gentleman, um, Hezekiah Pity, to kind of oversee the construction. And about a year or two into construction, Hezekiah kind of realized, like, hey, this is taking a little bit longer than we thought it would. So he moved his wife and his children down here to St. Augustine. Well, Hezekiah kind of gave his children, you know, one rule. Knowing that a construction site was very dangerous, he said, don't play on the construction site. But as we kind of like to point out when we do our tours with our guests, like who actually listened to their parents when they told them not to do something as a kid? So you had Mary, who was 15, Eliza, who was 13, and Carrie was the youngest daughter at four years old. You know, they they ended up not listening to their dad and decided to play all over the construction site. But their favorite thing to play on was the tramway system. And what that was, was it was used to transport all of our bricks or our lighthouse from the shoreline to the construction site. But going from the construction site to the shoreline was almost like a, we like to describe it as a Victorian era roller coaster for them. Because all the girls would hop in the cart, hit the brake, go down the track, get closer to the end, pull the brake. It would stop, bounce back off a barrier. Everything was fine. And one of the days that they were playing, they were playing with another little girl on property. This girl was what we believe a daughter of one of the construction workers. She was a little African-American girl, about 11 years old, who we've kind of grown to call Ellie at the lighthouse. So Mary, Eliza, Carrie, and Ellie were all playing together, and they noticed that the tramway system wasn't in use for the day. They all decided to hop in and started going down the track once they got towards the end. They went to pull the brake and realized why it wasn't in use for the day. The brake no longer worked. The girls were actually unable to stop the cart. The barrier had been moved out of the way. The cart ended up flipping the girls into the water, uh, trapping them underneath. Thankfully, there was a man nearby by the name of Daniel Sessions who had witnessed what had occurred. He immediately ran over, tried to save as many of the girls as he could, but unfortunately that day only one of the girls made it out alive. Carrie, the youngest, at four years old. So the bigger girls were trapped under, like, how much would this, this hand cart have weighed? Would, it would have been like a big metal cart. Um, Sammy, do you know the, I don't know one? the exact amount, but it was a solid metal cart. So it would have weighed at least, I would say, 80 pounds. And I think the girls drowned, but they could have easily have just hit their head too. Like it could have landed on them wrong and stuff. Yeah, but I think, we everything that we found from like the obituary said that they drowned. So that's what they deemed the cause of death at that time. Yeah. So now the Mr. and Mrs. Pity, his I can't say his first name. Say it again for me. Hezekiah. Hezekiah. He only had one daughter left. That was it. Yeah, he had actually he had two daughters and one son. His eldest daughter, um, she actually had a family of her own, so she stayed back up north where they were from. His son, we weren't quite sure if he was involved in the incident. Any records that we have don't quite indicate it, but he did survive the incident. And then, yeah, Carrie was the only survivor of what had occurred. So Mary, Ellie, and what was the other one's name? I'm sorry. Eliza. Eliza. 
all were killed that day. Yes. So tell me what they do at the lighthouse. So we like to joke around um, that they are our most playful spirits and that they are eternally playing. There are um, there are little pranksters that we have on property. So one of their favorite things to do to people, and I've actually had it happen to me before, is they love to untie your shoelaces and tie them together. That way when you go to take a step, you fall down. Um, so it's actually happened to people. Yeah, it's actually happened. There was, I think, one lady one day who said her shoelace had come untied and tied to the very first step of the lighthouse before she started climbing. I've had multiple guests on my tour have their shoelaces untied as I've been telling the story. Like, I've had my shoelaces come untied one too many times. I think, Sammy, you were there for one of those times, too. Yeah, I remember. It was one of your first tours, and you were freaking out because you yeah. only heard the story <laughs> once or twice. And you kind of freaked out. Oh, yeah. In, and, in, in a good sense. But <laughs> so, so what that, else do they do? Yeah, so we also, so every tour, we like, we give out glow sticks. And those are the tickets for the night. The only source of light that we have while we are doing the tours are glow sticks around everybody's neck. Well, to a Victorian-era girl, those are bright. They're colorful. They're, they're toys. Like, they've never seen them before. And so our girls have kind of grown to be very fond of our glow sticks. And we've actually had them lift them up off of our chest and dangle them in front of our face. They have popped them off of their caps uh, and thrown them around all over property. And they've even untied them from around people's necks. And when someone goes to pick it up off the ground, they've noticed that it's been tied smaller to fit over a child-sized head instead. So another thing that they like to do is we rent out EMS meters, so electromagnetic field readers, and they like, at least with me, one of their favorite things to do is make the meters go off, and then you're supposed to ask yes or no questions to see if you can start a conversation. The minute I start talking to the meters, they stop. And do not do anything. The minute I go back to talking about the stories that I'm telling, the meters start going off again. Why do you think that is? Well, they like to just have fun like that. They like to play those little pranks. And actually just, what was it, Abby, last week on one of our tours? I think it, yeah, it was like uh, last, last Sunday. We had a group come on the tour and I was giving the tour, and I was just giving a, like, safety dem- like safety demonstration, letting somebody know about a tripping hazard in the basement. And all of a sudden, the meters start going off. So we start talking to them, and I figure out we're talking to the girls. And then I notice as I'm giving the safety instructions, the meters start fluctuating as if, Someone is talking at the same pace that I'm talking. So I turn to the meters and was like, girls, are you copying me and mocking me? Meters spike right to red as if to say yes, and they start laughing and going up and down. You can hear them, like, running around? Oh, we hear them all over the property. (laughs) I've been out out on the nature trails, and I've heard them little childlike footsteps behind me. I've heard singing out in the nature trails, 
we've heard them in the lighthouse. Um, we've heard footsteps all over the keeper's house. I've been going into the basement and heard voices on the other side of the house. And when I went to see who was there, there was nobody there. Is that tracks and stuff gone from the the handcart that had actually killed them? Yes. So there's no remnants of it at all anymore, no track, no nothing? I mean, there might be under the, like, there's the streets and the parking lot that kind of cover it. So there might be under all the concrete, but none that we know of. So who, is there any other stories of any of the light keepers that lived at St. Augustine? Yes. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a couple of different stories. Um, so first one is our very first lighthouse keeper to live in the keeper's house. His name was Major William Harn, um, and he served in the Civil War. And as we like to joke, he was kind of like the Forrest Gump of the Civil War. If you could think of a battle, he was most likely in it. Um, and he moved down to the lighthouse after the war with his wife and his children he had in total he had about six daughters and he served as keeper for a few years but what makes him special is he wasn't only the first person to live in the keeper's house he was the first person to die in the keeper's house mm. he died of tuberculosis um, that he had contracted during the civil war he had also contracted malaria so he passed away in the bedrooms of the keeper's house. And we still kind of see him and encounter him at times. He's usually associated with a kind of cough that we hear in the keeper's house, um, because one of the symptoms of tuberculosis is coughing. And we have side of the house set up as it would have been when he lived there. So it's a dining room or parlor, um, and we've had Antique rock furniture in there that has gone, started moving on its own. There's an antique rocking chair that he really seems to enjoy more than anywhere else. And he's actually kind of been seen rocking back and forth in that. We also have his wife, Kate, who we have had people say they've encountered before. So after Major Harn passed away, his wife, Kate, stayed at the lighthouse as one of the assistant keepers for about four months or so before his pension kicked in and she moved the family back up north where they were from. And at one point, the keeper's house was actually, after the lighthouse keepers had all moved out, it was turned into a kind of like an apartment complex. And we've talked to former tenants who live there who said that they didn't live there for very long because they got kind of freaked out by the woman in black they kept running into in the hallway or on the stairs. And we think that's Kate because when she was living there, she would have been in mourning for William or Major Harn, and she would have been wearing black. We always refer to Major Harn by his title because he worked very hard for that title of Major, and we found that he doesn't like when people don't use it. Um, so this goes back to the antique rocking chair. We had a tour guide who was just kind of starting the tours, and she 
referred to him as Mr. William Harn. And the rocking chair that she was standing next to started to violently rock back and forth. Like, you know how you sit in a rocking chair and you're mad, you'll kind of go back really fast. The chair started to do that, and there was nobody in the chair. So she kind of freaked out, yelled, stop. Chair stopped. She exited the room as fast as she could. And then telling us what had happened later, she was like, we told her why she did it. So we make sure everybody refers to him as Major William Harn. How many, how many spirits do you think haunt the lighthouse? So we usually we have, I'd say about seven that we get kind of regularly. So the three girls, Major Harn, Maria, Peter, and then, then the shadow figure. That's the one I'm missing. But every once in a while, we have a couple more that kind of we don't always expect. Like, we associate Joseph or Kate. So at one time, someone said, like, Medium said that we had about 14 on site, but seven that we really get. Tell me about the shadow. The shadow, Uh, man. (laughs) Yeah, so the shadow figure is, we don't know who he is. We think he may be a former lighthouse. One of the theories is he's a former lighthouse keeper because some of the things this figure does, we would most associate with a lighthouse keeper. He will sometimes open windows that we've already shut for the night or be, or close windows before we get to them and lock them for us. He had, for a while, had a tendency to lock people in the lighthouse. Which takes me to probably one of my scariest moments in the White House. Um, So I was only working at the Lighthouse for, I'd say, two months or so. It was the first night I was giving the entire ghost tour by myself to a group of people. And I sent the group to the top of the Lighthouse. And I went to exit the front door of the tower. And as I got to the door, I pulled it open, but it wouldn't come open. The door had been pulled shut and deadbolted. Three people were on property that night that had keys that could have locked that front door, and all three of us were in the lighthouse. And it locked from the outside. It locked from the outside. The inside deadbolt was kind of broken so that people couldn't lock themselves in the lighthouse on purpose. Okay, so how'd you get out? So because even though I had just been starting giving tours, I had a little bit more seniority than the person who was down at the base with me, I sent him out a side window and sent him around to unlock the front door. Who do you so think I, that was? Do you think that was the, the shadow man? That oh, I definitely think that was the shadow figure. Because if you think about if the shadow figure is a former lighthouse keeper, he would have keys to lock that door. The door is the same as it was when keepers were here. So he would have a key for the lighthouse. We had a period of about a month where that was happening, and we would have people locked in the lighthouse, whether it was guests or or staff members. So now we just prop the door open. Oh, that's like the general rule now. You have to, you can't close the door. You have to prop yep. it open. Yep. Wow. Yep. We are avoiding that happening ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's scary. I mean, you could if you were in there by yourself, you'd have to try and get out a window by yourself. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, and so then, tell me the other scariest story. So there have been 
I've had a, a lot of my interesting encounters have been probably with the shadow figure. There was a night where I was giving a tour and I pointed up to show them where the shadow figure had initially been seen on the Ghost Hunters TV show that when they came to the lighthouse. And as I pointed up, the entire group saw a figure running up the tower stairs. Um, but there was the only person who was up there was out on the observation deck and wasn't inside the tower itself. Wow. Okay, so I've seen that picture from Ghost Hunters where there's someone that looks, leans over and looks down the stairwell, like the center of the stairwell. Mm-hmm. I was curious about that. I feel like when I watched that show, they attributed that to Joseph Andrew because he was the one that fell. But Joseph Andrew fell from outside the lighthouse. He was painting on the outside or on the inside? He was painting on the outside of the old St. Augustine lighthouse. Okay. So not this one, but no. they attribute it to him, correct, in the show? Do you I, know? Be I believe they do mention that. We just don't, because he doesn't interact so much, like, through EMS meters or stuff like that, we don't know. So we just say he's could be a lighthouse keeper. We don't necessarily attribute a certain person to him. Okay, so the the figure that you guys saw on the stairs, is that the same as the shadow figure or is this something different? It was the same shadow. it was the same kind of shadow figure, yeah. It looked very similar to what they captured. And how, so you guys are there all the time. You must have a ton of experiences all the time. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like referred to as the Mona Lisa of haunted locations. Is that because of how many spirits are there? I've actually never heard that. That's I haven't heard that I one just either. Read that. <laughs> I just read that somewhere. Like just a few minutes ago, right before I got on the phone with you, that someone referred to it as the Mona Lisa of haunted locations. That it's beautiful and indescribable. So there's so many spirits there that that's just crazy. You're saying 14, but you have common daily interactions with almost seven of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you guys end up doing tours for a haunted lighthouse? I uh, I kind of was looking for a career change at the time. And I, you know, I went to school for history and I was, I actually came to the lighthouse a week before my husband and I got married. It's just kind of a way to like de-stress and kind of just relax before we had this really stressful week. And I was we went, one of the people that gave her a tour. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and um, so we came and we like, you know, we kind of did our own thing and we explored after, you know, our guided portion was done and nothing really happened to us. But I was, I was looking for a career change, wanted to do something with history so I was like, you know what, why don't I just apply? And then I saw that the position that I was applying for, you know, did the ghost tours. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Because I, like, I grew up on haunted TV shows and scary movies and all of that stuff. And so I was like, you know, let's just give it a shot, see how it goes. You know, got the job, started training, absolutely love it. And it's like I tell people all the time, like, I love what I do. I love being able to tell people all these stories. Like when I have experiences, sometimes I don't always handle it, you know, very well. <laughs> but 
especially like having my name whispered out of the front of the lighthouse. That was a whole thing for me. Um, so you had that happen. Someone actually said your name. Yeah, something. Sandy was there with me that night. I was still in the process of training, and she she had to climb up the tower to fix something that I left open instead of making me climb all the way back up and back down again. And as I was waiting for her at the base, I heard and I heard Abby like whispered out of the front door, and I turned around and there was like a shadowy figure standing in one of the doorways, and I kind of just like moved myself out of view so I was like I don't really want to know who you are or why you're there but I respect you and waited for Sammy to come down and I was like did you say my name at you know any point in time while you were in there and she was like no never (laughs) didn't happen and so I don't know what said my name don't care why but every time I go in that lighthouse like I immediately flip the light switches on (laughs) so you don't walk around in the dark Oh, no, there are some people who do. I don't. Um, as we're closing up at the end of the night, I always have people walk down with me because I get a lot of activity um, while I'm in the lighthouse. So I always tell people, like, hey, just hang out with me. Something's going to happen at some point. Tammy, what made you start doing this? Um, so I had a friend who worked at the lighthouse, and I was kind of finished up an internship that I had been doing and was looking for a more permanent job, and she said, apply to the lighthouse. I'm sure you'll like it. So I just applied and then started giving the tours. So I was a journalism major in school, so I always kind of liked telling stories, and I also always loved history. So it was kind of just like a good way for me to continue kind of giving stories and telling people all of these interesting facts. And just kind of went from there is basically how it went. But going back to Abby's story about hearing the voices in the name in the tower, that was also the night that as we walked away from the tower, I turned around because I saw a figure run across the courtyard that front went from the tower to the other side of the house that looks like it came right from where Abby had heard her name. Do you remember that, Abby? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So no idea who that was. No clue. No. And the lighthouse is is registered as a national historic place, right? Yes. And so does the museum, who upkeeps the museum in the lighthouse? So it's all owned by the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum Incorporated. It's just like an organization. We have a board of directors and an executive director and all the staff and volunteers. So it's being, it will be maintained forever. That's the goal. Yeah. So tell me about your tours, if anybody wants to go on one of your tours. So we have a Facebook page, which is Dark of the Moon Ghost Tours at the St. I don't think it has at the St. Augustine Lighthouse, but we have our Facebook page. We have a website that has all of our ticket information, staugustinelighthouse.org. There's also the regular Lighthouse Facebook and Instagram pages. Plenty of ways to get in contact with us and come on our tours. What is the, is there, it, you said there's an Instagram page for St. Augustine? Yep, so it's the St. Augustine, St. Augustine Lighthouse. It's, it's S-T-A-U-G, so Aug, St. Aug Lighthouse, and that's it. 
We usually try to do, like, on Halloween itself, we try to do multiple tours if we have people for it, just so, because we know people like doing that stuff on Halloween. Yeah, it's kind of a thing during the month of October that it's just something you always want to do is go do a ghost tour. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's amazing. You guys have great jobs. Tell me who your favorite ghost is, though. I kind of like Peter. Peter's probably my favorite. And he's probably also my favorite story to tell. Because he's active and... You know what? When you're talking about him, he reminds me... I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. He's a sea captain, but he's like a grumpy sea captain. So the whole time that you're talking about him, I'm thinking... I'm picturing... That is very much what I would consider Peter. Yeah. Peter spent pretty much his entire life in some relation to the sea and lighthouses. What was so, so before he was the lighthouse keeper, what was he? He was uh, stationed on a light ship. So it was kind of the same uh, premise as a lighthouse, but it was on a ship. Amazing. And he kind of bounced around from different lighthouses as well. Thank you so much for doing this with me, guys. I've always loved all the stories I've ever found about the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And, of course, I've watched all the shows that I've recorded there. I am curious about one thing. Aside from doing the tours, have you two ever just done an investigation where you've taken in the equipment and done it yourself? We had talked about doing, like, a staff, like, almost like a staff sleepover where we all oh. kind of spend the night at the lighthouse and, like, do our own investigation and stuff like that. But I would love to do that one day. Oh, my gosh. If you do that, you have to invite me. <laughs> I mean, I'll have to fly to Florida, which is sucks. I hate flying. but And it's so far. It's literally the other coast. But I, that would be amazing. I can't believe you guys haven't done it already. It would be crazy to stay in the lighthouse or in the keeper's house, right? Like, can you imagine what happens, like, at 3 o'clock in the morning there? We've actually. I can yes, because yeah. I've I've been been there till. Oh, there was one that. time. One time I was there till like five a.m. Why? Because so we can you can rent out the site for private investigations. There you go. Um, and we had a group come in and they wanted to stay until like five a.m. We Somebody just worked there. Have around. to stay with them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me how much that costs for someone to be able to do that? Do you even know off the top of your head? So starting at for like two hours, an hour and a half to two hours, it's $500. And then it's an additional about $250 an hour after that. And do you get a lot of people that that, that will pay that, will do that? Yep. We get at least what two or three a month or so. Added? Yeah, I mean, like we had a we had a private tour last week. We had one planned this week, and then we've got a private event next week. And I think like for the next three or four weekends, like we are booked on private tours. <laughs> and where people do a tour with you, and then they get to stay and investigate. Uh, I was going to say it's ultimately like how you want to how you want it to be. So like. We have some people who have heard the stories and they're like, I just want to investigate. So we just let them investigate for two hours. There's some people, you know, we give them a 15-minute highlight reel and they do the rest of the investigating. And then some people want the full tour and then the investigating. So it's, it's up to them how they want it done. That is an amazing way for a historic landmark to earn money for its upkeep and care. 
that people are willing to pay for that, I mean, that's amazing that you do it. So many landmarks don't do that because they don't want to be recognized for the ghost or the spirits or anything that's happening there, which to me is so crazy because I feel like anytime something historic or old, I mean, like I said, for 400 years, activity has been happening on that specific piece of land. The story and the people that have been through, even if they were not intelligent hauntings, like the ones that you're describing of Maria or um, Peter, those sound like intelligent hauntings. If you believe in that, that would be considered intelligent haunting. But just the fact that so many people and so many lives have been impacted and have lived and died in that area, there's just a general all-around imprint left there, too. So even if you don't believe in ghosts or you don't want to go on a ghost hunt or you don't believe, like, the electronic devices or whatever, just being there has to feel like something just because of how much has happened there, right? Am I being dramatic? No, I agree. There's definitely a different feel to the grounds and the lighthouse just seeing and realizing all of the different things that this building has seen, like it's been through, it was a Coast Guard station during World War II. We had members of the Coast Guard stationed at the lighthouse patrolling the the beach for U-boats and German, like, spies. And then it's seen electricity come and all of this different historical things that have happened not even talking about the hauntings that are still there. Yeah, like that, land, that there's an imprint of life there, I would think, that is significant, that even if you were not a believer, that you would at least feel that portion of it. Most definitely. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have Thank a you. good night. You, you too. too. For more information on St. Augustine Lighthouse and Museum, please visit staugustinelighthouse.org or follow them on Instagram at St. Og Lighthouse. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Cass. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any time.